just continue to do so. Okay. All right, Titus chapter number 1. Let's stand to our feet out of respect for the reading of the Word of God. And I'm going to start in verse 5 so that we can kind of get the overview. You miss one one or two weeks with us, don't worry, we haven't gone too far ahead of you. Uh, we're, we're, we're moving along at a snail's pace in this, but there's things we want to cover to make sure we've got it all. Verse number 5. Paul tells Titus, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children not accused of right or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Father, it's a big job for a bishop. I pray that none of us here, in particular me and Pastor Josh, would take this very seriously as we understand the weight of the calling that is on us. We think we understand it, Lord, but we... We need to understand it better. And thank you for leaving us your perfect word so that we might glean from it, grow with it, and understand it better, that we might walk in holiness before you and in obedience to your commands. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. The blameless steward. The blameless steward. So again, we're approaching this text with the idea of what would we be looking for if we were to appoint an elder. And in the appointing of an elder, as we look at this, what would we be looking for in our own life? Would we even consider ourselves qualified as an elder? And uh, there are no physical descriptions for an elder. We're not told how tall he should be. We're not told what color he should be. We're not told what age he should be. But there are very important characteristics or character distinctions about the individual that we need to pay attention to. If you were to be, if you were thinking about finding a uh, a mate for your daughter, uh, there would be a lot of character distinctions that you would make in selecting somebody for your daughter. You would be very careful as you would look for somebody for your daughter. And you would, you would begin to want to know all of the things about her. Because guess what? You're about to turn over. You're about to give the hand of this girl that you have raised and cared for into the hand of a, a man that you are expecting to shepherd her, to lead her and guide her. Now magnify that on a scale where a man is going to be shepherding multiple people and not just his own family but many families and the impact that he's going to have on them. When he gets in the pulpit he's going to say things and do things that will forever be etched in the memories of people, there will be things he will do and say that cannot be undone or unseen or unheard once they are spoken and acted upon. And so it's very important that this elder is a person 
that meets some character guidelines before he would stand before a group of people and lead them. We have spoken of the importance of the character of the man that desires the office of a bishop and how his character outweighs so many other things. But here in our text tonight, we are given a very interesting point. He must be blameless as the steward of God. Now, in verse 6, if any man be blameless, the husband of one wife, here he must be blameless as the steward of God. So we've already discussed at length what to be blameless means, so I'm not going to labor that point a lot tonight, but a brief definition, to be blameless does not mean that he is without any fault, that he is perfect. But the idea comes from a word that literally means not having any accusations against him that would leave him open to censure. Now when we talk about censuring somebody, we mean setting them apart so that they can't have an effect on us. So the idea here is he can't have accusations that would lead for us to have to censure him and say, you can't be preaching to us, you can't be leading us. If someone, for example, accused me of adultery, if someone said, Pastor Michael has been involved in adultery, well, hopefully one of the first things you would want to say is who? You know, when, where, you know, you would start asking some questions about that. And if they said, well, I mean, we don't have anybody in particular that we were thinking about. We're just saying we think he's committed adultery. I mean, there's really no evidence or anything of this nature. Well, that type of accusation doesn't leave somebody open to censure. Those are baseless accusations. This type of accusation that's being talked about here... Uh, a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, it has teeth in it. In other words, there's evidence there. There's things that can evidently be seen. Now, there is a difference between this word, blameless, and the word that is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Turn over there and look at that text for just a moment. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. And verse number 2. And you see what it says here. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife. So it is a, it's, it's, it's taken from a different Greek word. The word in 1 Timothy 3.2 is a word that carries with it the idea of there being handles on the preacher. And what I mean by that is something that could be grabbed a hold of easily that he could be charged with because there's just so many things about his life that you could say, wait a minute, what about this? Wait, why is he doing that? Wait, what about this? Wait, what about that? Wait, what about that? He's just got handles on his life that it's easy to blame him because there's so many evident problems going on in his life. In this instance, there really might be a woman that he seems to be spending a lot of time with. There might be real evidence of adultery. Not just a simple accusation, but something that could be, you could put your finger on and say, there it is. But in this particular text, in Titus chapter number 1, we're told he's to be blameless, and in this one, as the steward of God. 
in his office as steward. He must be without accusation. But Titus is having to find men to become elders. And Paul is saying, a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. How can Titus know that this guy will be a bishop that will be blameless as a steward of God when he's not a bishop, he's never been a bishop? Paul is telling us definitely a bishop must be this way. So how's Titus going to find somebody that's going to match that when they've never been a bishop? Well, a steward of God is really the job of every saved person in this room. You don't have to be a bishop to be a steward of God. Each one of you, each individual person here is at one level a steward. And by that, this is what I mean. You and I have jurisdictions that we operate in. Meaning, there's things that we are individually responsible for. We're stewards of these things. And how we approach those duties says something about our view of God and His Word. Think about what your calling in life is. You may be a husband, you may be a wife, you may be a business owner, you may be an employee. You may be a manager, you may be a laborer. You may be a student, you may be a son, a daughter. Whatever your level of jurisdiction, I assure you, you have things that you are responsible for and you are to act in accordance to God's Word in those areas of responsibility. And are you doing a good job of that? Are you handling it correctly? How a man is presently living his life and how he is handling all that God has put under his care is indicative of his character and his view of God. You can tell what a man thinks about God and what he thinks about his word by watching him for just a little while. How does he take care of his family? How does he take care of his business? How does he handle his finances? How does he handle his friends? What does he do when he's around the opposite sex? What does he do... All of these things tell you something about that man's character. All you've got to do is look at him. Well, brother, we ain't supposed to judge. No, we are actually supposed to judge. The scripture is very clear in that. It's just make sure that you understand when you do judge, you will be judged with the same judgment wherewith you've judged. But we're not told that we're not to judge men in certain areas. So as you study a man and say, hey... Uh, let's just, this is just totally a, a random made up thing here. He has 10 acres of land, he has a wife, he has 5 children, he has animals, he, has, he owns a business, he has an elderly parent that he's caring for, uh, and you're looking at all these. So Titus comes into this in Crete, in this, on this island nation, and he, he meets this guy, and this is what he's got. He's got a farm, he's got children, he's got elderly parents, he's got all these things that are under his care. Is this guy acknowledging that all of these things, first of all, belong to God? And God's put them under his hand. He's the steward of God over these things. He's responsible for them, whatever they are. How's he doing with them? Is he wasteful? Is he selfish? Is he prone to crumble under the stress when it gets too tough? Is he a, does it make him abandon his duty and try to make up for that 
through some fleshly pleasure. Maybe he things get too tough and he has to hit the bottle. Maybe things get too tough and he has to take some kind of drug just to cope. Is that who he is? Is that is that his character? Or does he man up? Does he say this is a tough situation? This isn't a lot of fun, but you know what? We're going to get through this. This isn't the easiest thing in the world, but it's certainly not the hardest thing in the world. And I know that tomorrow the sun's going to come up and we'll be okay one way or the other. So being a blameless steward then is something that we would hope that the man we're looking at was already engaged in, at least on a local level of jurisdiction where God has placed him. Maybe God hasn't placed a ton of stuff under you and it and it's because you are not yet ready to handle more. Maybe God has not widened the horizons of your responsibilities because you've not yet mastered the ones you've gotten very well. And you need to improve and do a better job so that more is given in your area of stewardship. Now this is what Titus is having to look for. What a job. What a job. Again, as I've said, Titus is acting as sort of a detective concerning his search. And people stand out in society, do they not? Uh, I used to be on Facebook and, and all you had to do was read somebody's daily post and you, it didn't take many days to figure out exactly what that person was about. Uh, all you had to do was just see the stuff they're posting and before long you figured it out. This person is a sarcastic person. This person is a very political person. This person is a very angry person. This person is always getting their feelings hurt. This person, is, I mean before long, just off of a few sentences that they post, you discover very quickly, quickly what drives them. You know who the troublemakers are and you know who the problem solvers are. Think about the people you've worked with in the past, the people that are presently at the biz at your business that you're in. And immediately if I said, I said, who's your troublemaker? So a name would come to the top. Who, who's, who's the person that you know if you ask them to do something? You're not going to have to go back and check on them. Because they're just going to do what they've been told to do. Think about the people that you know like that. Well, if I called them and told them I needed this, guess what? It would happen. Now, if I called this guy and told him what I needed, it would happen, but I'd have to go back and fix something later. There's no question. It'd be like calling me to do your plumbing. Oh, I could come help you. But you better have a mop bucket and some towels and, and, and be ready to make a few extra trips to Lowe's, but we'll get it done. Don't worry. Yeah, you know that about people. And, and, and it doesn't take long for us to figure out who these people are. So Titus was being directed by the Apostle Paul, who was led of the Spirit of God, to look for certain characteristics. People are going to be leaning one way or another on the character scale. I remember a... Dad was sitting in the office with me with his daughter and she liked this guy and the dad gave me a list of the things he didn't like about the guy. He goes, he said, well, you know, he can't seem to hold down a job. 
He owes a ton of money on this car he's bought that he just doesn't need. It's a, it's a sports car. I don't like this about him. I don't like that about him. And after he gave me this long, long list, I looked over at the daughter and she went, He's so cute. So you just probably need a puppy then, if that's the case, because this guy did not sound anything like somebody you would need, you know, listening to dad describe him. He was totally against this guy. And I'm a, so people lean, we know. He's not searching for somebody flawless. Dads are when they're looking for somebody for their daughter, they're looking for somebody flawless. They don't exist. Titus isn't looking for a sinless man. The sinless man was the one that came and established the church. The Lord Jesus Christ. But he's looking for a man that exhibits with regularity and has the reputation. So he has present activity and he has history as one who falls into these categories more readily than opposite traits of what these categories call for. We're looking for somebody who would more lean into these things as goals for their life than people who didn't care about them. Turn, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. And here, here we're finding Paul, he's asking the church to think or to consider himself and those that minister with him. And he's asking for them to be considered in a particular way. Look at verse number 1 of what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul is saying to the church there, I want you to think of us as ministers, servants. I want you to consider us in that way. But not just any type of servant, but servants of Christ. So not just a servant to the emperor, or not a servant to a local governor or magistrate, but I want you to account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, when we think of a servant of Christ, do you understand that doesn't mean that you have divided interest, but that you have sole interest in pleasing the Messiah. When you say, if you say to somebody, if I said to you, so what do you do? Sorry, I'm getting a dry gullet here. Um, I, I meet you for the first time and we chat. I've got a neighbor and I uh, met him first time and he wouldn't he didn't tell me a whole lot about him he was he might not have trusted me I don't know I just pulled up his driveway and got out and I said hey neighbor I live right down here beside you you know my name is so and so uh, I pastor church here in town blah 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 and he was like oh yeah that's great I said so what do you do oh you know and he just kind of him hawed around. He wouldn't tell me what he did. I was like, oh, he's probably with the mafia or something like that. A hitman has moved into our neighborhood. I mean, immediately my mind starts going to all these crazy things. He doesn't want to tell me what he does, you know. I, and, but but he might not have trusted. Now now I know what he does, and he's a good guy and all this kind of stuff. But if you said to me, if on my initial meeting with you, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I said, so what do you do? I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Well, really? 
Okay, so you're asking me to account of you or to consider you as a servant or a minister of Christ. Yeah, that's exactly what. So I'm thinking then your whole life is engaged on trying to improve on any aspect that is not falling into that category. You're trying to weed that out and you're trying to get things to where you are spot on in serving Jesus Christ. Is that right? Yes, that's how I want you to consider me. Okay, well, I'll consider you that way as long as I see you performing that way. But the moment that you begin to perform as a minister of Satan, then I won't consider you that anymore. This is exactly how we would do with anyone. We would think a person is faithful to their spouse until we heard that they were fooling around or we saw it with our own eyes. We would think that someone was an honest person until we saw them with their hand in the teal at work, taking money. And we would immediately have a different opinion of them. Paul is asking the church at Corinth, which was already having issues with people coming in and teaching falsehoods and people coming in and making up lies and talking about how the resurrection has already passed and there is no resurrection. I mean, just all sorts of things were being said to the church at Corinth. And Paul said, I, I, I need you to consider or take account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Keep in mind what a steward does. A steward takes the resources that are afforded to him, that are put under his hand, and he uses them then for the necessary use and good of the family that he is attached to. So if I had a steward in my house and I put him over my household, he would take care of my money and make sure my clothes are all laid out like they're supposed to, make sure I have groceries in the pantry, all that kind of stuff. And any other physical thing that I might need taken care of there, he would make sure that whatever resources I had could appropriately be used for my family. So Paul says, I want you to think of us and regard us as stewards of the mysteries of God. He was tasked as a steward to dispense the instructions, the counsel, the guidance, and the truth concerning the law of God. He was to dispense those gospel truths that literally were set down before the foundation of the world. Um, jump back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for a second, just for a second. And look at verse number 7. Paul tells them, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Which none of the princes of the world knew. So none of the princes of the world knew this mystery. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear hath heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love them. There are things that until you hear it revealed... You have no idea how good things are that God has set aside for His children. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So Paul is saying, I have a huge weighty job. I am unveiling the mysteries of God for you. I'm the steward of all these councils, these laws, these ordinances, everything. I'm, I'm responsible for making sure that they are presented to you in a way that is understandable. Now the bishop of a church has to make sure 
that he is not preaching above the people's heads to the point that he's trying to sound intelligent and using words that don't make any sense to you. I define a lot of words that I think you probably understand, but I define them because maybe there's somebody that doesn't know what the word means, and so when I use a word, many times I'll define it. Sometimes I have people come to me at the end of a service and say, you said such and such, I don't even know what that is, what is that? And I'll, I'll try to explain it. Uh, but then again, I don't want to shoot low and hit you in the knees either. I don't want to present something to you that is just so simple and so basic that you're like, yeah, yeah, Pastor, we know that. I want to be able to land within a range that we can all at least understand these mysteries together. That they would be presented in a way that you can walk away and say, I actually understood what he was talking about. But I want to tell you something else. There is also the work of the Spirit on your heart to help you understand what I'm teaching. Because many times we have blinders on. Satan has blinded the eyes of many and I try to present something to you and you go, that doesn't even make any sense to me. I don't have any idea where you'd come something like that. But it's a very clear, clearly revealed truth in Scripture and you don't get it. That's something to consider as well. So the bishop has a big job. A big job when he opens up the Bible and says, open up the Bible and look at this particular text. It's a challenge. And he said, God revealed this to us by the Spirit. So the things that we know about in back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, is that the office of an elder is one that is subordinate to Christ. The elders, first of all, serve Christ. Secondarily, the elders serve you. The office places us in a position of stewards, first of the mysteries of God, and then of the administration of the things within the church. And this ought to cause you, as members of this body, to form a very sympathetic and loving attitude towards your elders. Because we are, and here's the challenge, we are first subject to Christ and His directives. And therefore, we don't get to bend our ministry to suit every whim of the people. You've got something you'd rather see or you'd rather do or you'd rather us talk about or maybe we ought to talk about this more often. I had somebody come to me one time and say, you don't mention the Holy Spirit very often. You need to mention Him more often. It's okay. I don't. I talk, to, I talk about this. I mean, even tonight, God's revealed Him to us by, our, by His Spirit. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I thought I mentioned the Holy Spirit in almost every sermon. I had another person one time, you don't, you don't preach from the book of Revelation enough. I want to hear more preaching from the book of Revelation because I'm curious about the end times. I didn't say it, but, I, but my thought was, you know what, you need to get today fixed in your family instead of worrying about tomorrow. Because you've got issues today that we need to be dealing with. You know, you've got children that need to be cared for, a wife that needs to be cared for, Let's get these matters down. You know, we're worried about what's happening, you know, down the road. I don't know how many years it'll be before the Lord returns, but I got a lot of stuff I need to be taking care of today in my obedience to God. Yes, those things are exciting. It's all exciting to talk about end times. And by the way, Pastor Josh, I'm thinking when he finishes Jude, he's going to jump right into the book of Revelation and just teach all the way through it. And that would be a great study. So I hope that you can, you'll be here for that if he does it. Um, 
So we do have a, a large task, and I want you to be sympathetic toward us when we don't always fulfill your wishes for something. When we say we can't do something or we must do something, we try to remember that we're saying that within regard to what our master has commanded us to do as elders. There's a lot of things that I would love to do in the church that I don't do in the church because I don't feel I have liberty to do it in the church as a servant of Christ because I don't think it belongs in the church. And I know that I'm the one that's going to stand before the Lord and give an account for that. And so it's with great carefulness that we make decisions in the church about what we do and what we don't do. Now, if you don't like that about us as the elders here, guess what? You have the liberty to replace your elders. You can say, hey, I don't like the direction he's going. I want to get rid of him. I want to vote him out. And I want to bring somebody in that's going to more suit my whims or my needs. Unfortunately, if you find somebody like that that you can lead by the nose, all you've got is a hireling. You've just got somebody that you've been able to stick in the position that'll dance when you play the pipe. And, and that's really not what you need or what you want. It wouldn't serve you well. It might in the moment, but it wouldn't eternally. Um, you're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse number 2. So he just said in verse 1, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That's the calling of a steward. Now we were told uh, that we are to be blameless as the stewards of God. So a steward of God is to be found faithful. Number one, it is required. It is expected by the steward of the steward to be faithful. It is the pinnacle of his office. Fidelity is indispensable. It's a cardinal virtue because the steward owns nothing. He is the manager of all of his master's estate, but he owns nothing. Secondly, if we were unfaithful to our master, we couldn't be trusted to be faithful in anything else. If I wasn't faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can rest assured I won't be faithful to anything else. Thirdly, a minister is devoted to his master's service. It must be kept in the back of my mind at all times that at any moment I'm going to have a surprise inspection called on me. I may be called to stand face to face with my Lord at any moment. And I'm going to have to give an account. I can't, I don't have the liberty of saying, you know what, next year I'm going to do some things different ministering and I'm going to correct some things in, but right now I'm going to ride this wave because it's enjoyable. I can't do that as a minister of the gospel. I've got to be faithful today because there may be a pop inspection come up at any moment. Now, when I was in the Navy, anybody that's ever been in the Navy and had to be subject to sitting under officers. Hank, I'm not pointing you out in particular, but as far as I know, you're the only officer in this room. Uh, he was an officer in the Marine Corps, and one of the things that I dreaded more than anything was when we would have a surprise inspection, and the person doing the inspecting was a marine officer. I was on board a ship that had a full complement of, of marines. 
They were all Airedales. They were airplane people and, and whatnot. And when we would have shipwide inspections, they would pull in all their officers to inspect. And every once in a while, a Marine officer would come in to inspect. Now, the Marine officer did something different than anybody else that inspected our space. He would come in with white gloves on. Now that was the most ridiculous thing in the world on board a, an aircraft carrier, especially one as old as the one I was on. And he would never leave from there with white gloves. They would be so dirty by the time. He would, he would find dirt in places that I didn't even know the places existed. You know, and, and he would, as soon as he would pull it, he'd, he'd turn around and just, he wouldn't even look at his hand, he'd just go, because he knew it was dirty. And we had cleaned everything we could possibly think of. Failing that inspection always resulted in an uncomfortable loss of privileges. Every time we failed one. Something would be taken away from us. But I assure you, it was, it was nothing like what it would be if I had to stand before the creator of the universe and give an account of my ministry and stewardship of all he's put under my hands knowing I had not been diligent. I had not been faithful. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And if I am a steward of the mysteries of God, if I am in fact blameless as a steward of God, I have to take every duty that falls to me as though I'm going to be questioned by the creator of the universe on it. He's going to show up with white gloves one day and rub across the banister of my ministry and look at it and determine the finality of whether I had been faithful. We always quote that verse, Enter in, thou good and faithful servant. But are we being faithful? Because that's what he's going to say to the faithful. It's almost as if in, a, in one instance, you know, you got somebody that in here, Enter in, thou good and faithful servant. You know, that's the whole idea that is presented before this. A steward should never violate or abuse the trust that is given to them. And the last thing I would want to point out, I guess, about 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is verses 3 and 5. Look what he says here. He says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Hmm. I'm not really worried about you, being, you judging me. See, the church at Corinth had been saying a lot of unkind things about the Apostle Paul. They had been saying things so strong and so direct that Paul said, when I come see you, we're going to have a talk about this. I'm going to meet with some of you face to face. You know, I'm an apostle. I have the power of an apostle and, and you're saying some stuff you ought not be saying. So he's saying, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment in general. Any man, he's saying. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, 
who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Well, you're going to get the praise of God at that last day if you have indeed been faithful. Paul said, My desire is to satisfy my master, not to concern myself with satisfying others with my stewardship. I've got to satisfy God first. Why? He said, my appointment was by Jesus Christ. Nobody appointed me. And it is to Him, Jesus Christ, that I will ultimately answer, not another. Now when an elder can get that in his head, that that is what he is doing, he can be so brave. He can be fearless in the face of somebody who is not happy with his ministry. Somebody that is not pleased with what he's doing, the minister can look them in the eye and have no fear of man's face. And that's one of the things we're told we've got to guard against is fearing man's face. In other words, having to come face to face with somebody who's about to judge you for something. Now, you may have... You may be in business and you've adopted the uh, old statement, the customer is always right. Now I assure you if, you, if if you're in a business and you've adopted that statement and you've hung the sign up over your desk, the customer is always right. When the customer walks out, you don't say that to the other employees. Well, he was right, wasn't he? You're like, that customer was an idiot. He didn't know anything. I can't believe he was actually even expecting us to do that. That's, it, that's impossible. He's crazy. But you tried in every way to satisfy that customer. That is also the calling of the elder. When you come to us elders and you say to us, Hey, I'm not satisfied with something, something's not right. We don't go, I am only judged of God. Turn away from me, thou wicked sinner. That exactly. That's not what Pastor Josh and I do. We can't do that. Because we are not perfect either and we have blind spots. And it is a great blessing sometimes when a saint of God comes to us with a humble spirit and says to us, Hey, I was just thinking about this and wondering if this is something we need to be doing and where are we at on this and are you guys okay with that and what's happening here? And me and Pastor Josh go, Thank you for bringing that to our attention. We're going to talk about it. We're going to consider it. We're going to, you know, the customer isn't always right. Like that, that, that sign's inaccurate, but, but the customer may be on to something. It's going to help us improve what we are doing. That we can glorify God better. We can be more faithful to our Lord and Savior. And we can still satisfy what you're looking at because those two things can actually meet and work out just fine sometimes. And so don't be afraid to approach Pastor Josh and myself. In fact, one of the things is, Pastor Josh and myself want to be accessible. We want to be accessible. We want you to feel like you can text us something if you're wondering about something. We want you to feel like you can pick up the phone and call us and, 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 and you, or you can walk up to us here and say, hey, Pastor, have you got a minute? You know, We want to be accessible to you. Now, there may be times we can't answer the phone right then, can't return the text immediately. No, I can't meet with you right now because I've already promised to talk to somebody else. Those things happen, but we don't want you to think, if I, well, if I go to pastor, he's just going to be arrogant and say, you know, read the hand or whatever. You know, I, 
I'm not going to be that way. We're not going to be that way. We're going to labor not to be that way. And if we fail to be that way, please forgive us and, and give us some room to be human too. Have you ever had a bad day and you came on to church anyway? I don't know if you have or not. Some of you probably have never had a bad day in your life because you're always smiling. You're always so happy. You never have a headache. It's like you don't even need a cup of coffee in the morning. You're just amazing. But probably one or two of you have had a bad day and you came on to church anyway and you just didn't really receive much that day because you were sitting there stewing in your own aggravation and you're just disappointed about something and you're mad at somebody and then some idiot comes up and talking to you and they're a brother and sister in Christ, by the way, and, but that's not how you feel right then. Give me and Pastor Josh a little bit of that grace too. Did you know I have a wife and grandchildren and children? I care for my parents and I get sinus headaches and all these things too. We labor not to let those things affect how we minister. But we are so human, it's terrible. My flesh is absolutely an arch enemy. If I was a superhero movie, I would be the villain. Honestly, it's just because I, I, I know me and I labor to not be that way. I don't want to be that way. I want to walk in the Spirit and I want to mortify the deeds of the flesh every day. But sometimes we don't do a great job of it because we're distracted by our own problems sometimes. So it is an honor to be entrusted with the welfare of the church of the living God. It is an absolute honor. And I don't do it justice. But I want to. And so I'm laboring day by day to become more and more faithful. I want to be blameless as the steward of God. You should want to be blameless as a steward of God in your respective areas as well. Whatever, whatever jurisdiction that is in your life, that ought to be your calling too. God, I want to be blameless in this. As a steward of God, this job you gave me, this family you gave me, this health you gave me, whatever it is you've given me, I want to be blameless in it. I want to do my best to do well. It must be kept in mind, and it's my closing thought, the measuring stick for the minister need never be the number of people that are in the pew nor the amount of money in the coffers at the church. The accolades given to the minister, you see somebody pat him on the back, boy, that was a good sermon preacher. That's one of the most dangerous things to say to a preacher. Usually he's probably thought he's just preached the worst sermon he's ever preached in his life. Other people talking about how great your church is, None of those should be the measuring stick. The bottom line is that when that minister stands before God to give an account, that will be the measuring stick. That'll be it. So it's a weighty, weighty duty not to be taken lightly by anyone that is considering the office of an elder or bishop. But a steward must be found faithful and the bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. So pray for us, brethren. I think, I think I've asked you to pray for us every 
Wednesday night sermon at the conclusion, probably for the past three or four weeks, because going through these and studying them out, I discover how far I've fallen short of meeting these expectations and how much further I need to go and how much we need your prayers. We need them. In fact, Pastor Josh, he's probably watching tonight if he feels up to it. But I, can't, I imagine he's pretty discouraged that he's not able to be here tonight. You know, And your prayers for him would mean a lot. So keep him in your prayers as he tries to care for his family and get to feeling better as well. And uh, for, for me as well. And I'll be praying for you as faithfully as I can. And um, I am thankful for you. It is a, it's, a, it's a blessing to be a steward of God in whatever jurisdiction you happen to be in. Let's stand to our feet and we'll be dismissed tonight. Father, as we bow our heads, we realize that we all have a great way to go to be blameless. But Lord, we are going to depend upon you, lean upon you fully knowing that you will carry us through. If there's going to be any completion of the work that has begun in us, it must be done by the Spirit of God. We understand that. And so we lean upon you, Lord, and ask you to help us. Help us, whatever our jurisdiction is, whatever we're responsible for, tonight, tomorrow, the rest of this week, that we will be blameless as the stewards of God, faithful in our service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.